me to Ephesians chapter 2 today. Ephesians chapter 2. And let me just begin by asking you to join me, and if you could just repeat after me in saying this. So just say this with me. Christ has no hands, but our hands. He has no feet, but our feet. He has no voice, but our voice. Okay, no longer, no, that's it. So I don't want you to keep repeating me after that. But hey, the point of that is not to show us how dependent upon um, us God is. But the point is to show us that there is no plan B. We are God's plan A. It is said that during World War II, a church in Strasbourg was completely destroyed. Nothing remained of it except a heap of rubble and broken glass um, so that the people began to clear away all the masonry, and in doing so, they found that the statue of Christ in front of the church still stood. In spite of all the bombings, it was unharmed except that it had lost its hands. Both hands were, were missing. And eventually the rebuilding of the church began, and one day a sculptor happened by and saw the statue of Christ with, with no hands and offered to carve new hands for the statue. So the church officials met and they decided not to accept the offer. And here's what they said. They said, Our broken statue touches the spirits of men, but that he has no hands to minister to the needy or feed the hungry or enrich the poor except our hands. And then they said this, He inspires, we perform. He inspires, we perform. The First Baptist Church of Ocean Way exists to glorify God by making disciples who will serve the world. God desires to be glorified through His church, and I pray that we desire to be a church who glorifies Him. Just pray that that is the desire. And we do so as we make much of Him, as we magnify Him. As we saw last week, we do so as we make disciples throughout the world. And let me just remind you of last week's uh, message that the Great Commission is not just a call for a few of us. It's a command for all of us. I'm thankful that we all have different callings in this room. I'm think, thankful that we have different gifts. We'd be a boring, boring place if everybody had the same gift, and it would be a very maddening place if everybody was just like me. So I'm thankful for a variety of gifts and callings represented across um, this room, but let me ask this question. When did the Great Commission become a matter of calling? You know, we act as if we're not called to do something that Christ actually commanded us to do. I mean, it's like Christ commanded us to do it, but we say, no, I'm just, I just don't feel called to it. And what we forget is that Christ and God are under no obligation to write something in the sky to tell us to do something that his word has already commanded us to do. So we are responsible for it. In fact, think of it like this. The commands of Christ are our calling. It's what we are supposed to do. And I hope we see today and continue to see that this whole picture of what we're doing goes a whole lot deeper than just calling ourselves Christians. Or it goes a whole lot deeper than just us begrudgingly being obedient to God. Doing so with our arms crossed and not happy about it. Ronnie McBrayer says this. Being a Christian, a word used only three times in the New Testament, saw that last week, is not Jesus' goal for his people, but the making of a community of revolutionary followers or disciples, a word used nearly 300 times in the New Testament, seems to be exactly the goal. 
The church must return to these roots. The church must once again become a people who are on the way, formed by the words and way of Jesus. So the plan of God for his church is for us to be a community of revolutionary followers of Christ. Just think about what that means. Just think about how we think about community and and togetherness. If you were to go just north of San Francisco, you would find the the Muir Woods, an incredible forest that causes all who visit it to stand in awe of the strength and the endurance of the sequoia trees. The sequoia trees are sometimes referred to as the largest living things on earth. They reach up to 250 feet tall and they live for over 1,500 or as many as 1,500 years. When you stand before one, you feel two things. You feel very tiny, very small, and probably a little envious on how tall they are and how long that they have stood. And if, and that's a big if, if you could have a conversation with a tree, and please don't go off and try that at home, but if you could, maybe we would stand before this tree and maybe we would ask questions such as, how have you done it? How have you somehow managed to endure all the storms that have come upon you and through this place, and yet you have remained standing? And if a sequoia tree could talk, and it can't, and I just let me throw this out here as a public service announcement. If a tree has ever talked to you, please contact Brother Curtis, and he will get you the help that you, you need. So, um, if, but if the tree could somehow talk to us, here's what the tree would not say. The tree wouldn't say, the sequoia wouldn't say, well, the reason I have endured for so long is because my roots go so deep, because they don't. Sequoia tree's roots only go down four feet. So what with sequoia, what would it point at to being the reason that it grows so tall and, and um, endures for so long? And what it would point to is the fact that no sequoia tree ever grows alone. They always grow in groves, and if you were to look at their roots, they are all intermingled together. Therefore, not one falls apart from all of them falling. So therefore, they don't fall. They stand. Think about this. No sequoia tree ever grows alone. And I think that's a pretty good way of looking at it from our standpoint as the church. We as Christians, as Brothers and sisters in Christ are not called to grow alone. We are called, now in one standpoint, we're called to let our roots go deep. So we want to go deep. But in another way, we want to also have roots that are interlocking together with other brothers and sisters. So this journey that we are taking together as a faith family is not an individual journey. I'm not saying to you, okay, you go out and glorify God. You make disciples. um, You serve the world and do it away from here and we don't want to know about it. No, we're doing this together as a faith family. It's going to be accomplished together. And this is where we see that this is a really good, this mission statement becomes a really good jumping on point for those who are looking to give themselves to to the mission of of God. In fact, let me just say something. Um, Make this very clear. If you are here this morning and you are a child of God, you are not the mission of this church. So let me say that again. If you are here and you're a child of God, you are not the mission of this church. The mission is the mission. You are a part of the mission. So as a child of God, hear this. It is no longer our job as a church to try to keep you here and to try to do everything we can to make you happy. No, that is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to give you a way to work out the mission of God in our lives. 
Now, I'm not belittling ministries in this church. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. I'm thankful for ministries of this church. I'm thankful for ways that we minister. And there's needed, needed ministries in our church by which we're growing and equipping and encouraging and, and serving in those ways within the church. But understand that we, we aren't the point of the mission. God is the point of the mission, and the lost world around us is the point of, of the mission. I've always heard it said this, that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. So the church doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church, and it's us. So I pray today that we are going to lift high the name of God as we glorify him, making disciples who will serve the, the world. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read Ephesians chapter 2 together. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 together. And it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today as your workmanship. We come before you today, God, as being called to your mission. And we just pray that we would see our collective place in this and that we would also see, God, our our place where we individually have a calling of our lives to serve you um, in ways that will bring glory to you. So we pray today, God, that you would just um, unfold and reveal all of those things, God, um, so that you may be most glorified in our time together. Just lead us into your word. Lead us by your, your spirit. Speak, Lord, for your children are hearing. We're listening, oh God. Speak to us. In your name, speak. Speak, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So think about this. If we are in Christ, if we're in Christ by grace, through faith, this is what God says about you. God says that you are his workmanship. It's the Greek word poema. It means work of art. It means that Christians in this room are God's master pieces, that you are God's beauty in the midst of a world of gloom, that you're God's new creation in the midst of a world of, of fallen creatures, that you're God's workmanship, you're his work of art. And I love this because only one other time in the New Testament does this word workmanship actually appear, and it's in reference to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 where, where Paul tells us that um, all of the creation of God, his workmanship, his work shows us or reveals to us the existence of God. So beautiful thing begins to happen here where it shows us this word only appears twice in the New Testament, which shows us that God has produced two great works um, in which he manifests his power. The first is the creation of God. So the creation of God by which God made everything that we can see out of nothing shows how powerful he is. That God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing and this sustains it all, shows the, the depths of God's power. But let me say this. 
The creation of the universe out of nothing is not God's greatest masterpiece. Sometimes we think it is. It's not. God has done something far greater. In fact, God has produced a work that reveals His grace, His power, and His glory to a far higher degree than just the universe. And if you wonder what that work is, let me just tell you the greatest masterpiece of God is the salvation of sinners. It's the greatest work of God. Therefore, if you are here today in Christ, you are a work of God. God is composing something in you, through you, that glorifies Him. In fact, I love what Ephesians 2.10 says. God has predetermined what that work is. He's already determined what, how you have been built, how you will serve Him. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look together at four truths that will show how we as a faith family will serve the world around us, will serve the world that we, we live in. And I pray that these four truths will just, just bubble up and bubble up within us as we see the beauty of this together. So the first truth is this. The grace of God is the reason for our service. So the grace of God is the reason for our service. And I, I love Ephesians 2, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And Ephesians 2 is a combination of, of pessimism and optimism. It's a combination of despair and, and faith because what Paul is doing is he is contrasting between what a, um, a person was by nature and what they are by Christ or by, by grace. Starts off dead in trespasses and sin, but then he says, but you are alive by grace. You have been saved. In fact, I love Ephesians 2 because it tells us what we bring to the table in our salvation. Think about this. Do you want to know what you and I bring to the table in our salvation? Let me tell you what we bring to the table. Sin. And that's all we bring to the table. Sin. We bring our sin to the table in the midst of our salvation. And you want to know what God brings? Salvation. He saves us. In fact, Scripture says... For by grace we've been saved through faith. And that not of yourself. There's nothing, nothing in yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So that we cannot boast. And I tell you, so many times we as Christians are guilty of talking about Christianity so coldly and so doctrinally. We, we talk about it as, as if it's just a rite of passage. That everybody is, is Christian. Everybody has done this. I think sometimes the reason that worship no longer explodes in our hearts for God is that we somehow have forgotten how much grace and mercy and love God has poured upon us. We've forgotten it. We've forgotten how much we needed Him. We've forgotten that we were objects of His wrath and He loved us anyway. We've forgotten that He absorbed hell into himself in order to save us. We've forgotten it. And I think it comes down to remembering, when we think about the grace of God as our reason for service, that we remember that you and I don't serve God in order to be saved. We serve God because we are saved. So we don't, we don't serve God because we have to. We serve God because we, we get to. We are able to serve God. One pastor put it this way. Service to salvation is what thunder is to lightning, an inevitable result. Just as thunder does not generate lightning, our service will never generate salvation. 
But then he goes on to say this, As you cannot have lightning without thunder, so you cannot have salvation without service. The two must go together. So the only reason we are able to serve God is because of the grace of God. There's one reason that we are striving for good works in the world that we live in. It's not to earn salvation. It's to show the world around us that God is gloriously gracious in saving us. He is gracious in the way he has saved us. So we are his workmanship and grace does the work. We're his workmanship and his grace does the work in us. So the grace of God is the reason, only reason for our service to him. But then secondly, the glory of God is the motive for our service or of our service. The glory of God is the motive. The glory of God is the aim. It's why we serve God. Think about this. Sometimes our motive becomes we serve God so that people can see us serving God or we serve God so that people can talk about us or we serve God for so many different reasons. Um, And sometimes we don't serve God for the only reason that we should serve God, which is God. We're not serving God sometimes for his glory. And think about what 1 Peter 4.11 says. It says, whoever serves, serves by the strength that God supplies. I'm going to cover that in just a second. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Whoever serves in order that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Whoever serves, saying for the glory of God. And the glory of God on display through our lives is not just the point of this scripture. It's the point of all scripture. In fact, let me just take you on a quick little biblical tour. Are you ready for it? I'll be your tour guide for just a minute. And we can take you on a biblical tour. Let me take you back to Genesis 1. We're on the sixth day God created man and woman. And so God, by his grace, Adam and Eve didn't do anything for God to create. God just created because of his grace. And the first thing he does is gives them a command. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God wasn't just talking about just fill the earth with people. What he was saying is this, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with God followers. Fill the earth with God, with worshipers of me. Fill the, fill the earth with people who will um, lift me high. So in creation, mankind freely received the grace of God and then received the command to spread his glory throughout the earth. Then we come to Genesis chapter 12 where God calls this man named Abram who lived in an idolatrous place called Ur. And God says to Abram, I'm going to make your name great. And in you, all the families, all the nations, all the people of the earth will be blessed. One more story. We see God's grace, God's glory to the nations. God gives the same promise to Isaac in Genesis 26. God gives the same promise in Genesis 28 to to Jacob. Think about the picture of, of Exodus. We think about Exodus. God, by his grace and by his power, delivers the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Why? So the nations might know that he is God alone. We get to Joshua, this fortified city named Jericho. The walls crumble and fall with a shout of command. Why? So that the glory of God might be on display throughout The nations, over and over and over again throughout Scripture, God is giving grace to a people, power to a people, so that His glory may spread throughout that people to the nations. Think of the book of Daniel, two events. A 
fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3, a lion's den in Daniel chapter 6, God powerfully and graciously delivering his children so that the nation that they are in, a godless nation, may come to know that he is God alone. We see it all over the book of, of Isaiah. Think of Ezekiel chapter 36 where God says to, to Israel, he says, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my sake, for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. Think about what God is saying to Israel in Ezekiel 36. You've profaned my name among the nations. I'm going to act so that my name is no longer profaned among the nations. We see this all the way through the Old Testament, a God who is passionate about pouring his grace upon his people so that his glory may spread to the ends of the earth. But it doesn't just stop in the Old Testament. It comes into the New Testament when Jesus begins to walk around and Jesus is teaching his disciples. In Matthew 24 and verse 14, Jesus says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. People will Receive the grace of God through the teachings of the kingdom, and then the end will come. Matthew 28, as we saw last week, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations. In Luke 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples after the resurrection, and Jesus tells them in verses 46 and 47, Jesus said, I had to suffer and rise again so that forgiveness of, sin, of sins may be preached to all nations. Just this picture of God's power, His grace. Why? Not just for a few people, but for all people. Then we get to the book of Acts. Jesus tells His disciples, you shall receive power. That's grace. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then we think about what Paul says in the book of Romans. At the end of Romans, Paul says, I've made it my aim to tell and preach Christ to people who've never even heard His name. God has given me grace. I want to make sure people who have never heard his name understand his glory. And then in Revelation chapter 6, people of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people around the throne of God. So here is the question for us today, brothers and sisters. Why do we serve everywhere that we go? And the answer is this. We do so for the glory of God. We are serving the world around us. We're serving everywhere that we go for the glory of God. And please hear this. The one who has poured on us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace deserves from us glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. The one who has poured so much grace upon us deserves so much glory from us. We want him to be glorified. So the glory of God is the motive. It's our aim. It's the reason that we're serving. We are no longer serving so that people will know our name. We're not serving just so people will know the name of this church. We're serving so that people will come to know the name of our God. And those who know, their, know his name will put their trust in him for his glory. And the third truth is this, and this is when it gets really, really, really. If it hadn't got good already, it's about to get really good. For the third truth is this, the Son of God is the strength for our service. The Son of God is the strength for our service. So if every Christian is a poem, so and the Word of God says that we are, then who is the hero of the composition? Just think about this. If you're a Christian and your life is a poem, then who is the hero? So if I'm a poem... Being written by God, the question becomes, am I the hero? And I love that Ephesians chapter 2.10 answers that question. It says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ 
Jesus. Meaning, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you are a poem of God, but the hero in your story and the hero in my story is Jesus. He is the one who is doing a work in us and he is doing a work through us. And every poem that has Jesus as the, the hero will spread his name and his, his fame throughout the nations and into all eternity. So we are created in Christ for good works. Just think of it like this. What does Christ demand from us? And I, I were to say if Christ were to demand something from us, he would demand two things. First of all, Christ would demand um, our absolute obedience, so supreme obedience, that we, we value him above everything. But I also think that Christ would tell us that we must, we must serve him and serve him sincerely. I know a lot of times we serve and we grow weary in our service. And let me tell you one of the reasons I think sometimes it's easy to grow weary in our service is we take our eyes off Jesus and we put our eyes on the people that we're serving. When we begin to put our eyes on the people that we're serving, we grow weary. Why? Because the people that we're serving are still sheep. And sometimes they just don't know any better. And sometimes they miss the things that we do. They miss the effort that we put in. They miss the things that we're, we're doing. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus doesn't miss a thing. He doesn't miss one thing that you do for him. Others miss it. He doesn't miss it at all. So the secret becomes that we're treasuring Christ and we're serving Christ, but we're doing so understanding that we're not doing this on our own. In fact, let me tell you what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Which means this, Jesus did not come to be helped by us. He came to help us. He did not come to be served by us. He came to Serve us. So good, good job. You're following with me. So Jesus, this is why he came. But here's the question. What does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus came to serve us? And here's what it means. Or here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we tell Jesus what to do and he has to do it because he is our servant. So we bring all of our wishes and all of our wants to him. And if he doesn't do it, then he's a very bad or very poor servant. That's not what it means. What it means is that Jesus, he serves us by giving us what we need in this world. And you know what you and I need most in this world? Himself. We need him. So Jesus serves us by giving us what we need most in this world, which is him. Isn't that good news? He serves us by giving us himself. Don't miss it. Meaning that every time Jesus asks you to do something, it is his way of telling you how he wants to serve you. Just follow with me here. Sometimes we... We know that God is calling us to do something, and we go, God, I could never do that. And God's going, of course you can't do it. That's why I'm asking you, and I'm empowering you. are not doing it on your own. Every time Jesus tells us or calls us to a service, it's his way of telling us how he wants to serve us. When Jesus leads you, or when Jesus leads me into difficult places, when Jesus calls us to do difficult things, He's not calling us to do it on our own. He's enabling us to serve him as we do it. And he will serve us in the midst of it as we serve him. So think about this. We trust Jesus to serve us knowing that as he serves us, he will receive the glory from us. Please follow with me here. I know this is probably going to resonate or should resonate among us. If Jesus calls you to trust 
trust him in the midst of a dark patch in your life. Maybe Jesus calls you to even walk through a dark valley. He has also promised to serve you all the way through that valley. And that's when it becomes really, really good. Because, yeah, we have to walk through it, and it stinks to walk through it. And there's, there's nothing that we can say of that valley that's really good. The scenery is terrible. Except we look right beside us and in front of us and behind us, and there he is. He's serving us all the way through it. Everything that Jesus commands you to do, every place that Jesus commands you to walk through is his way of telling you how he wants to serve you in it. Don't miss it. Don't let it be thrown away. In fact, I love the words of a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. Maybe you don't know her story, but she became a quadriplegic after a tragic accident. And she could have just folded up and she could have just said, well, I'm not ever going to serve God again. But instead, she is... Um, Shining a beautiful, glorious light of God throughout um, the, the world, everywhere that she goes. But she wrote a book called A Place of Healing. And listen to what she said. She said, God has a plan and purpose for my time on earth. He is the master artist and sculptor. And he is the one who chooses the tools he will use to perfect his workmanship. What of suffering? What of illness? What of disability? Am I to tell him which tools he can use and which tools he can't use in the lifelong task of perfecting me and molding me into the image of Christ? Do I really know better than he does? If I am his poem, do I have the right to say, No, Lord, change stanza two and brighten up stanzas three and five. They're a little too dark. Do I, the poem... The thing being written, no more than the poet. And the answer is no. And I am so thankful that we have lights like Joni Erickson Tata that didn't that went through a devastating, devastating injury and didn't just say, well, I'm done. No, she said, God, you can, whatever way you want to use me, whatever way you want to craft me, I will be useful to you for your glory as you serve me. Therefore, in this life, brothers and sisters, we are being conformed and we are being served by Christ even in suffering so that we might serve others. Even in suffering so that we might serve others. The Son of God is the strength for our service. He serves us. Whatever it is He's asking you to do, He is giving you the way and He's telling you how He wants to serve you through it. And that is good news for all of us. Which leads us to the last truth, which is this. The world of God is the scope of our service. The world of God, the world all around us, the world that God made is the scope of our service. Now think about what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5 and he's pulling out the, the Beatitudes and pulling out this picture of what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. But then he says this in verse 14, You are the light of the world, a city Set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then in verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just follow with me here. Jesus' command to his followers weren't, well, it wasn't, you are the light of your community. You are the light of your state. No, he looked at his followers and said, you are the light of the world. The light of the world. Sometimes that seems very overwhelming, doesn't it? The world? Really, God? 
I've only been to Chicago. That's the only place I've, that's the furthest place I've been in the world. You know, the furthest north I've ever been is Virginia. How can I be the light of the, the world? And we begin to think about that. And here's what we need to realize. Jesus isn't telling us not to shine right where we are. Listen, we always start right where we are. We shine right where God has placed us. And then you know what we do? We shine where God has placed us, and then we shine by his grace as far as he lets us go, offer his glory. We shine right where he's placed us, and then we shine as far as he will take us by his grace, all for the glory of God. And I love the way that Jesus connects um, the words your light, or the phrase your light with good works. In verse 16, he says, let your light, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. So what is our light? What is the light that the world needs to see? And Jesus tells us it's our good works. It's our service. It's the way we're serving them by serving the Lord. The way we're serving each other by serving the Lord. This is our calling. Our serving God by by serving the world becomes a grand display of the light of God. But let's just be honest for a second. I think if we're going to be honest anywhere, the church is a good place to be honest, right? So let's just be honest for just a minute. And let's just say this. It is nearly impossible to have a view of service that reaches the world if we are only focused on serving ourselves. It's impossible to have a view of service that reaches the world if we're only interested in serving ourselves. In fact, if that's the case, then we are just like the world. And let me tell you, we will never reach the world by becoming more and more like the world. Won't do it. It is an impossibility but let me show you how, how we often do that. Let me show you how sometimes we let our selfishness keep us from serving the world that God has, has placed us in. There might be some in here today that maybe you're thinking, well, we don't need to go to the nations. We, we should be doing right here. We're right here. We should be serving our community. We should be serving our nation. We should, there's a lot of needs right here among us. And Let, let me just uh, speak very candidly for just a minute. Most people, I won't say all people, but most people who say things like this are just putting up a smoke screen. Because every time I've heard that argument, it hasn't come from someone who is serving God so well here in Ocean Way. It hasn't come from someone who's serving this community or this city or this nation well. It's really come from people who aren't serving God at all. But they just want to dictate what they think we should be doing. It's kind of like this. When, when me and Misty first came out and began to tell people that God had called us to adopt, we had people some from this church, some from outside who came to us and told us, I really don't think God has led you to, to adopt from India. I think really God has called you to adopt from America. I can't believe you wouldn't put America first before you put that. And you know, we would look humbly at them and say, well, God called us to India. And God called us to adopt there. And they would continue. So I got to the place where I would just say this. I would say, well, if, if God is calling you to put in that heart for American adoption in your heart, I can give you the number of someone that can help you to pursue that and to adopt. And inevitably, here, here's always the answer. Well, God hasn't called me to adopt. And I got to the place where I would say this, well, then God hasn't called you to lead our adoption. Um, and that's when you drop the mic and just walk off. But here's the, here's the same picture. Listen, God hasn't called people who are doing nothing to lead and tell us what God has called us to do. No, Jesus is leading us. He's telling us what he would have us to do, and we are going to do it. And think about this. Even if that person that comes and has, is, is really, let's say they're really serving 
um, Jacksonville, let's say they're really serving America. What we say is this, well, yeah, it's good, but they still have on their hearts only 5% of what's on God's heart, which is the world. So we need to get out of the way and let God capture our hearts with what's on his heart. And here's really good news. Really good news. If you want to hear good news, let me give you some good news. God hasn't called us to choose between here and there. We get to do both. We get to serve our community well for the glory of God. And by his grace, we get to go to the nations for the glory of God. We get to do both. And it's a really good thing that you and I get to do both. You know why? Because he's worthy of both. God is worthy of both. So we are light in the world so they may see our good works and they may glorify our Father in heaven. But let me just pose one more question. If all of our good works are done here in this building and the lost world exists outside of this building, then how will they see our good works and how will it bring glory to our Father in heaven? Now again, I am not minimizing the work that is taking place in and through the local church. I'm not minimizing that at all. The things that we are doing are, are needed. Um, we want to continue to pour into our preschoolers and our children and, and our, our youth and ministries that take people and adults and connect them together. We want to keep doing that. I don't want to minimize that in any way, but just think about this. If all of our good work is just being done in this building and the, most of the lost world exists outside of this building, how will they see our good works and how will it bring glory to our Father in heaven? And the answer is not by us keeping our good works in here, but by us taking the gospel with us wherever we go wherever god takes us as we are going as we saw last week we take him with us and this is where we're reminded that we're not saved and called to isolation we are saved and we are called to interaction with the world around us so let us engage the world around us let us serve the world around us so that they may see our good works and it bring glory to our Father in heaven for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And let me just end with a statement that just rocked my world this week when it comes to this. It's by John Piper and just listen to what he says. It says, so let us work hard but never forget that it is not us but the grace of God with us. Let us obey now, as always, but never forget that it is God who works in us both the will and the deed. Let us spread the gospel far and wide and spend ourselves, but never venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought in us. And then here is my favorite line. In all of our serving, may God be the giver and may God get the glory. Let me say that again. Brothers and sisters, in all of our serving, in every way we serve, in all the ways that we serve our world, may God be the giver. And as he's the giver, may God get the glory. Both now and forever. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? I pray that we do for his glory. And I pray that we would give ourselves. And I pray that today might be a day that some of us are coming back to a reality of something that God asked us to do. And we looked at ourselves and we compared the task with ourselves and we said no. And guess what? Maybe we haven't gone any further um, in the sake of our, of our relationship with God because of that. And maybe today God is saying, okay, you, just, you, you were just shown the picture of I asked you to do that not because I thought you were strong enough, because I know I am strong enough. 
Therefore, give yourself to my purposes. Give yourself to what I'm calling you to do. Even in the midst of your suffering, you can still serve. Whatever that looks like, all for his glory. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the musicians, Kyle, to come forward. And we're going to prepare and this time to enter into an invitation. And as we do so, I just pray that God would work and, and, and move and, and be present in this place as we say yes to God and whatever he tells us to do. So let's pray together. Father, again, we look to you. We come before you, God. We, we are not, but you are. We want to be a, a people, God, that we know that you are giving the grace so that you may receive the glory. God, I pray for each one in this room today that you would show us, God, our place and Lord, how you want to work in us, but also how you want to work through us. I just make it clear today, God, what it is that you're calling us to do to further shine your light, God, in this world that we live in. Lord, help us not to minimize that light, God. Help us not to minimize it, thinking it's not just not that big of a deal. Oh, God, if you've called us to it, it's a really big deal. For it's your way of telling us how you want to serve us. So help us, God, to follow that way, even now. Finish this time. Finish this service. All for your glory. All for you, O oh God. All for you. In your name. Amen. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. I've heard tender whisper of love in the dead of a night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never You're a good, good father, it's who you are.